God, may the community here have the eyes to see the things that you want us to see and the ears to hear the things that you want us to hear. We are never meant to live this life alone. And really the embodiment of who Jesus is is represented in this community with one another. And so we pray that you would be the God who supersedes in ways we can't even imagine. We know that you're the healer. May you bring about healing. We know that you're the reconciler who can reconcile relationships. May you reconcile relationships. May you give wisdom where wisdom is needed and bring about peace where peace is needed. We're foolish to think that we can do this all by ourselves. So may the God who put things into motion in Genesis and who is returning in Revelation, may that be true in our hearts and minds. Come, Lord Jesus. And may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We love and adore you. What a privilege it is to come to your throne, to come to your side and know that you hear us. We love you in your name. Amen. All right. Uh, So we can doubt. We started that last week and just giving ourselves permission that our relationship with, with Jesus is very seldom a straight line. I would love for it to be, I'd love every day that I wake up and go, God is good, and then (laughs) there's some days where that becomes a struggle for me to say. And, And for some of you, you might be wrestling with that concept that it's actually okay to doubt because we in the church haven't done a great job talking about it. We've kind of told you to push your beliefs uh, and your struggles, just leave them at home and come and look like you have it all together. And so we're going to spend a bunch of weeks talking about this. You know, I, I, I got to say that I'm profoundly thankful that all over the world there are people who are coming to know Jesus. We celebrate that concept that people are still being drawn to the Savior, but it's also important to notice that there's some Christians that are deciding not to be Christians anymore. Well, there's many people coming to know Jesus. There are some people that we could say that are deconverting away from Christ. I'm not going to try to make a theological statement this morning. I'm not going to wrestle through, well, did they pray the prayer? But... I am going to illuminate for us that there's a number of people that we probably are familiar with that are choosing not to follow Jesus anymore. So today, I want to encourage you to be open-minded and just consider how some of us as as Christians might be getting a few things wrong. And, And perhaps with the help of God as we navigate this, how some of us can even do some things better. So we're going to look at a very complicated guy that always seems to appear at Easter. His name is Peter. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. It's a hugely powerful story that 
We see when Peter was faced with some doubts, and Peter had doubts always in his life. Maybe you don't know the context of Matthew 14, you'll get familiar with it. It's like that song, You Are My All in All, it takes us back maybe to camp. Maybe this will take you back into Sunday school. Looking at that flannel graph, Matthew 14, verse 28. The disciples are in a boat. Jesus just walked up on water. If you can ever get this in your imagination, the disciples are confused and scared. In life, that's never a great combination. When you're confused and scared, we don't seem to make right decisions. So here's what it says in verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter said, tell me, Peter, to come out on the water to you. Verse 29, Jesus goes, come. Peter got out of the boat, he walked on water, he came toward Jesus. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, scared. He began to sink, he cried out to Jesus, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You, of little faith, why did you doubt? So Peter got out of the boat. He walked on water. He was walking toward Jesus. We then know what happens. He sank into the water. You might be like me, who has criticized Peter and went, oh, Man, he had such little faith. Maybe we need to change our frame of reference and go, he was the only one that actually got out of the boat. He had faith in who Jesus was. In the same way that he had faith to follow Jesus, we're going to watch him struggle in our faith. Just like some of us who are strong at one moment in our journey and then struggle in our faith at another moment. Scripture told us that he was walking on the water, but when he saw the wind, which is interesting, how do you see the wind when you're out in an ocean? He was afraid. He began to sink. He cries out, Lord, save me. And immediately, what does Jesus do? He reaches out his hand and caught him. Proclaimed these words that I think we've misunderstood. You of little faith, why did you doubt I love that question from Jesus. And maybe Jesus is asking us that same question today. Why did you doubt? Can I encourage you to have some courage today to take off that spiritual facade and get a little bit real? How many of us have had spiritual doubts? You don't need to raise your hands. Unfortunately, there's some faith communities where people wouldn't have the courage to be honest. Because... They might be afraid that someone would look down on them, cast them out because they don't have enough faith. So today I'm going to try to talk to two different groups of people. The the first group that I want to talk to directly is the group that you are currently having some doubts in your faith. Don't worry, this is not usual. Most believers do. I want to remind you that doubts don't disqualify your faith. Just because you're doubting... It doesn't mean that you're not a believer. And real faith doesn't mean that there's an absence of doubts. 
Real faith, a working faith, pushes through the doubts to even a deeper faith. So I want to talk to you for the next few minutes to those of you that are unsettled in your spiritual life. Then I'm going to talk to the rest of us. Because I'd pray that the rest of us would actually be ready to help people through their doubts. Instead of being the type of people that look down at others and go, oh, they must have not really prayed the prayer. They must have sin in their life. Instead of having that kind of negative, hateful, judgmental attitude, I want us to have a posture of love, a posture of grace, to help those who are struggling because you may be in the same place one day where you're struggling. So to both groups of people, to those who are perhaps struggling or want to help someone who is struggling, I want to remind you that doubt is not the enemy of faith. So what is doubt? Doubt is always an invitation to a deeper faith. I hope you hear this this morning. I hope you feel it, that just because you doubt, it doesn't mean you're losing your faith. See, doubt can be an invitation to pursue Jesus, to grow even into a deeper faith. And Jesus asked Peter that question, Peter, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? So if you don't have some spiritual doubts occasionally, let me ask you this. So I'm sorry, if you do have some spiritual doubts occasionally, let me ask you this, why? It's really interesting if we take a few minutes to dissect and discern our doubts. Let's be honest, we all have doubt times where we doubt. You see, a crisis of faith, a struggle in our faith actually forms humility when we walk through it to completion. So why do you doubt? Well, there's a a big group of people that doubt because they can't reconcile how a good God could actually allow so much pain and suffering in this world. How could there be innocent children and civilians suffering in Ukraine? What about those little girls that are sex trafficked their entire life? What about innocent babies around the world that die in extreme poverty because they can't even get a meal? But sometimes it's not those big questions. Sometimes it's personal things like, I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed for my loved one to be healed of cancer. And I knew that God would do it, and he didn't. Or I prayed for my parents' marriage, and they ended up divorcing. Or I wanted to go to that school, and I got turned down. God, where are you? Sometimes it's just an issue that doesn't seem fair. For a lot of people, though, they doubt because there's some type of severe wound that they can't resolve. I mean, we all know the story of a Christian leader that we love and respect, and they let us down. Maybe it was a youth pastor that was so amazing that you found out had this dark sexual sin. Maybe it's the dad who loves Jesus and then ends up loving other women besides just your mom. One person said this to me, for me, the reason that I doubt is because what I read in Scripture, I just don't see in the church. So it's an interesting question, why do we doubt? Peter asked Jesus, uh, sorry, Jesus asked Peter this question. And for years, this little portion of Scripture bothered me. 
you, or for some of us that memorized it in the King James Version, ye, you of little faith, why do you doubt? See, for, for years, I saw that as an accusation. But this week, as I learned and reflected on the character and nature of, of Jesus, I thought about it. Jesus is also always, sorry, Jesus is always loving. He's always full of grace. He's always compassionate. I think I've been reading that question the wrong way. I asked myself, when Jesus said to Peter, why did you doubt? What if this question isn't an accusation, but an invitation? What if it's something that's not condemning him, but something that's wanting to encourage him? Instead of saying things like this, which goes through our mind, hey, Peter, why did you doubt? What did Jesus not do? Jesus didn't sit back and say, well, go ahead and sink there, you loser, no faith guy. That'll teach you. Sink there. Let's see you sink to the bottom because you didn't have faith. What did Jesus do? He reached out his hand. See, Someone who is loving reaches out their hand. When Peter was drowning in his own doubt, Jesus came to him and met him in his doubt. I can't help but think Jesus was smiling. I think Jesus was inviting. I think Jesus was like, hey, Peter, why did you doubt? What's up? Peter, I'm I'm on the water. You can be on the water too. Why did you doubt me? Peter, do you remember the loaves and fishes? Do Do you remember the water and the wine? Do you remember the eyes that can now see and the ears that can now hear? Hey, Peter, why did you doubt? Peter, why don't you have a little faith? What if we actually frame that up from a loving Savior, that this wasn't an accusation, but an invitation? That's why whenever we start to doubt, or someone you love starts to doubt, don't panic. It's not a time to panic, it's a time to process, it's a time to dialogue, it's a time to say, hey, let's talk through it, let's explore, let's keep, keep pushing into Jesus. The, the problem is, if we Christians don't handle the doubt moment when someone asks the question, when someone is hurt, if we don't handle that moment well, they may feel like we're judging them in an accusatory way. Unintentionally, we may push people away, and when pushed away, there are many people today that are doing what we've given the fancy term to deconstructing their faith. What is deconstruction? This is a controversial and emotionally charged subject in our culture. But friends, it's not a new idea. There may be a new term to it, but it's not a new idea. It's been around for a long time. But it's controversial because of many reasons. One reason is that there's a lot of different approaches and there's no single definition to what deconstruction is. Let me tell you what my posture is so that we can be positioned to love people and invite them rather than accuse them. In my opinion, there's a healthy way to deconstruct and there's a dangerous dangerous way to deconstruct. Deconstruction done poorly can hurt people, even the one who is deconstructing. 
Someone may be hurt by Christians, and so we're deconstructing, and it's easy to be hurt by a few Christians and get bitter at all of us Christians. See, you don't get hurt at one restaurant's bad service and boycott all of Swiss chalets in the entire country of Canada. What happens with us as Christians, one church lets us down, and so we write off all the other churches. Or sometimes we write off our parents because they let us down. Sometimes we end up hating even ourselves. Maybe that's why some pastors preach against it. Maybe the easiest response for pastors to give is they weren't really saved in the first place. They didn't really know Jesus. They didn't have faith in Jesus. Because if they did, they wouldn't be doing all this deconstruction stuff. I think in Christian circles, we have a lack of understanding when it comes to deconstruction, and it scares us. Deconstruction done well can actually be spiritual progress. There's a definition that I heard from Craig Ruchel, and it's going to come up on the screen Deconstruction is a sincere examination of your beliefs to let go of what is untrue so that you can hold on to what is true. It's a sincere spiritual journey to say, is there anything that you hear that's contrary to God's heart? If it's contrary to God's heart, then let go of it so that we can embrace what is true to his heart. In fact, I would probably argue that deconstruction done well can actually be a form of discipleship where you're growing closer to Jesus. You could make an argument that Jesus at many times helped people deconstruct. Listen to Matthew 5 verse 43. You have heard that it was said. In other words, you grew up hearing this. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Then look what he says in verse 44. But I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You believed you should hate those who are mean to you. But Jesus' kingdom values, my kingdom values, say you love them too. And five times in Matthew chapter 5, if we spent some time in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus would have kept saying this, you have heard it said. You have heard it said, but I say to you something different. Essentially what he was saying was, you thought, you believed that this was true, but I'm here to tell you that that's not true. Here's what's actually true. You see Jesus do this with other, with other disciples. You see him do it with Peter over and over again. A great example of this is in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. Here's Jesus talking to Peter. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem And suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. That he must be killed, that Jesus must be killed. And on the third day be raised to life. I love this little tagline. If you have your Bibles and you're looking at Matthew 16, if not, just listen. Peter took Jesus aside. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. 
probably somebody I wouldn't rebuke. But here's Peter taking Jesus aside and going like this. Jesus, never, never, Lord. This shall never, ever happen to you. Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not know in your mind the concerns of God, but merely you have human concerns. You could say with this lens that he was deconstructing Peter's wrong beliefs about Jesus as a Messiah. And saying to to Peter this, Peter, you thought that I was going to be a conquering king. But Peter, I came to be a suffering servant. Peter, you thought that I would achieve victory through conquest. But I will achieve victory through sacrifice. All right, so let's just let go of what isn't true so we can hold on to what is true. So how do we build our belief system? All of us would say, oh, the Bible. But do you just build your belief system through the Bible? You don't. You really don't. You build your belief system based on how your church teaches you the Bible. Because if you haven't been around much, let me tell you, some of our churches teach it differently. You see, you build your belief system based on how your family interprets the Bible or how your community interprets the Bible. No matter how smart you are, no matter how many theological degrees you have, no matter how good you are on Instagram pointing out everyone else's errors, you bring your own filters in every time you read God's Word. You can't read it without your own filters. You read it through your family's background. You read it through how you were raised. You read it through where you were raised. You read it through the type of church you were raised in, or if you didn't attend church at all. The way that your parents voted might influence how you read the Bible. You pick up beliefs as you go. And the good news is many of your beliefs about God are true and biblical and God-honoring. But, because we're flawed people, not everything that we pick up along the way is true. I want you to take a second. Think back to your church growing up. At that church, maybe you were introduced to different things. Maybe instead of them calling it the Holy Spirit, they called it the Holy Ghost. You were scared of the Holy Ghost. But I want to tell you, that church that you grew up in, that church you learned things in, was actually a, a great church. But you go through life, you read your Bible, and you pick up things, and sometimes people add things. And we have our extremes. We have our narrow little things. And you know what? Like some of you, it's all over the place. I could go on for hours. Some of us, you remember a time when you couldn't go to the movies. And you certainly couldn't dance. And you couldn't drink because maybe it would lead to dancing and then it would lead to listening to rock and roll music. Or you have to vote conservative. 
especially if you're a Christian. And if you voted liberal, you're not a Christian, and those other people aren't Christians. You can't date in some Christian culture. You can't listen to secular music. And women, you certainly can't wear pants. In that church, growing up, women had to wear dresses, no makeup. You didn't play instruments. That was only for the Sunday evening service. If you didn't do the right things, then you certainly didn't have the Holy Ghost. But if you did have the Holy Ghost, you had to be careful. Because you didn't want to be corrupted by the devil, and you had to make sure you were baptized a certain way with a certain words. You had to have communion every single week. You had to pray for at least an hour. When I grew up, you did this, or you die, and you go to hell where there's no lack of fire, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And one day you wake up and you realize that everything you believe about God might not just be true. And you discover parts of what you believe are not true. And that doesn't mean you have to leave the faith. You don't leave the faith. You let go of what's true and you of what's not true and you hold on to what's true. Friends in some buildings include this, including this one we can find asbestos. So what do you do? You deconstruct it. You tear out the bad and you rebuild it with good. That's what you do. Just to be clear, the whole building isn't bad. Just parts. So we don't burn down the building. We just take out parts that aren't good. When you discover that something that you believe isn't true, you just unbelieve. You work to unbelieve. A sincere exploration to unbelieve what isn't true, and you hold on and pursue what is true. So let's go back to that question. How do we build our belief system? What you do is you do it through the Bible. But you said that a few minutes ago, Matt. But I want you to try to come to the Bible with the most sincere, objective view to hear the heart of a loving God. Here's my simple advice to you. Always read the Bible through the lens lens and love of Jesus. If you're stuck, if you have questions, just go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just live there. Get face-to-face with the Son of Jesus. I mean the Son of God, Jesus. Look at how Jesus loved. Look at how he loved. Look at who he loved. Look at how he treated the outcast, the lonely, the filthy, the sinners, the least of these. Read the Bible through the lens of Jesus' love. Then I believe one day you will recognize. Okay. Our goal as Christians isn't to be right. Our real goal as Christians is to be loving, just like Jesus was loving. So let me go back to my agenda. There's two groups of people. For some of you, you're doubting, and maybe some of you, you're considering leaving the faith, or you love someone who is doubting or considering leaving the faith. Friends, remember Peter. 
In many ways, Peter denied Jesus. He doubted. He was wrestling through his faith even as he stood face to face with Jesus. Do you remember the Easter story? Three times, not once, not twice, three times he didn't have the faith to believe that Jesus was the Son of God and denied him for his own selfish benefit. What was going on spiritually there? I I don't know. Maybe it was a momentary doubt. Maybe it was full-on denial. But what I can tell you is that what Jesus did, how Jesus responded, in the same way that we talked last week about Jesus extending his hand to Thomas, who was doubting, Jesus initiated that relationship. In the same way that Jesus extended his hands this week to a sinking Peter, the same Jesus went to Peter after his doubts, after his denial in three times when Peter denied Jesus, three times Jesus said, I forgive you. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. See, Peter would have known the story that when one sheep gets away, the good shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. Just like Jesus might be coming for you today. Who did God choose to preach at Pentecost? That day when 3,000 were saved in Acts chapter 2? Peter. Whose faith was built after doubt. Proving that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but doubt is often an invitation into a deeper faith. 30 years. 33, sorry, 30 years later, if you can imagine this, 30 years after he's been forgiven by Jesus, Peter writes these powerful words in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Who is better to say that than a lost sheep Peter, who is rescued by the hands of Jesus in his doubts. Jesus, uh, sorry, Peter knew firsthand the love, the grace, the mercy that the good shepherd wasn't a conquering king, but a suffering servant who laid down his life. Maybe the realization for us is the realization I had this week that I can deal with the rest of the junk if I can just have Jesus. That's how good he is. That's why I can follow him. I've got spiritual questions, Matt. I've got spiritual hurts. At some point, you're either going to have to reject it or believe it by faith. And let me tell you clearly, it takes some faith. The Bible says that we're saved not by our own efforts, not by religious works, but only through grace that comes in faith. Let me tell you where you'll be putting your faith. You'll be putting your faith in a God who says he loves you, who created you. And even when we stepped away from him, even when we walked away from his ways, he continued to love us so much that he sent his son, Jesus. The perfect son of God who was without sin, who died on a cross, became sin for us, God's son. God raised him from the dead so that anyone, that includes you and me, doesn't matter what we've done, doesn't matter how big our doubts are, doesn't matter how dark our life is, anyone who calls on that name, the name of Jesus, 
that name, the name Jesus, who calls on him, our sins will be forgiven and we'd be made new. So it's going to take faith. You're saved, you're changed, you're new, not by religion, not by getting it right, not by perfect theology, not any of those things, but by faith in Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's so good. When you put your faith there, if you will, you'll be different. You'll be new. You're ready to take that step of faith. Peter got out of the boat. He walked on water. He took that step of faith. Wherever you are, we need his grace. I need his forgiveness. Today, by faith, I give my life to him. But friends, let's help people on their spiritual journey. Wherever they are, whatever is happening in their life, let's pray. God, thank you for the reminder today that you are the Savior. For some of my friends, we just need to see Jesus differently. The churches that we were a part of, the church that we're a part of now, the family that influenced us or didn't influence us, the friend group we grew up in, the rules that we had or didn't have, let us just fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus. And may you give us a new image of who Jesus is in our life. Thank you for being the God who is a pursuer, a rescuer, a reconciler. Thank you for sending us Jesus. We love and adore you. We ask all this in your most powerful name. Amen.